0: Hello and welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Kraus, licensed professional counselor. We are going to skip the traditional intro today and get right into it with Dr. Ryan Lambros. And we are going to be talking about a lot of topics about spirituality, religion, trauma, authenticity, all sorts of things, even some theology uh, for beginners. And I kind of am calling this episode is deconstruction good for your mental health and uh we're gonna we're gonna answer that question ryan so yep. but yeah you could uh introduce yourself is that okay and then your yeah. links will be in the bio when people uh, find out that
1: you're cool and want to follow you so if you could tell us about you yeah absolutely uh yeah born and raised in arizona been here my whole life i've tried to leave so many times but i'm stuck here and now that i have kids we're definitely stuck here so that's that's my world uh, you know, grew up, i love all things sports anything to do with sports. I was a college athlete, played basketball. That was fun. That was great. Love doing that. Uh, but yeah, more recently, I just finished my doctoral work and really focused on philosophy and psychology, really offering what I like to call a transformative framework or innovative framework for how healing could possibly work within the realms of psychology and philosophy. Uh, been married to my wife for over 13 years. She's a therapist as well, specializes in trauma. She owns her own practice here in Arizona. So I tell people that just means I don't win any fights with her. You know, that's just kind of how it is. I want to start a I want to start a TikTok on Hi, my name's Ryan. I'm married to a therapist, and then just go into what that that whole world looks like. But uh, we have two boys. Maverick is my youngest. He's 10. Weston is my oldest. He's 12. Polar opposite kids maverick lives up to his name he's my wild child love it weston is a mini me uh so that's scary in itself and yep i uh i'm a certified life coach and i'm a chaplain for the local fire department here so i walk alongside a lot of first responders in their journeys and their healing process and uh i really love just walking with people being in their corner and, and wherever that journey takes them want to be able to be there with them. So that's me in a nutshell. Wonderful. Thank you. A big, a big, a big piece is I was a, I was a pastor. I was a youth pastor for many, many years uh, and, and they've left that, but yeah, that's, that's kind of a big deal. Well, there, there's the
0: deconstruction piece we're about to get to because you've been called by people in your former community and sort of, I guess, s- similar area you live in a heretic. It's true. Um, among other things, uh, lost sheep. Uh, I don't know. Prodigal
1: browser. Prodigal, prodigal prodigal son. all oh, yeah.
0: Um, taken over by demons. I don't know if that one was actually yeah. said or if I'm just inferring that. It's a Facebook
1: comment. Yeah. Okay. Panic. Um, yeah. <laughs> so
0: I think interesting enough. Interestingly enough, I think to talk about deconstruction, we've got to talk about a little bit about you before we kind of get into the more macro worldview, because like you said, like you do a very unique job as a, as a life coach, and you've got these doctorates in philosophy and religion, and you've got a lot of huge, a bunch of psychology. I don't know exactly what your doctorate is, but people can read about that online, but you, you not only help the fire department and the first responders, you know, you work with individuals who are kind of going through, I guess, maybe something similar uh, possibly to what you went through. And obviously anybody who's not in the faith community could see you right. as well. But uh, I think there's a lot of refugees, if we would could use that term bluntly, sorry, from the faith community in yeah. um, different, different uh, forms of it. Um, and you went through, I would say, way more of a deconstruction than I did because I was not engrossed in this as a child. I was somewhat surrounded by it but I had a lot of other secular influences and my parents kind of gave me a choice and things like that. But in your life, there is a whole podcast on this. So we're, we're going to, we're going to, if you want the podcast about Ryan's total story where he reveals all because, um, we're going to, you can DM us about that and we'll send it to you, but I'm not linking it because it names, (laughs) name specific people and places that uh, exist currently. Um, and I don't want to be, uh, you know, that's not what this podcast is about. Um, but a little bit of your story is that I met you when you were like, I don't know, 18 or 17 or something. I don't know exactly.
1: Uh, yeah. Early, early. I think it was early. I think it was in early twenties, early twenties. Okay. That's what it was. Yeah. Cause it was probably around yeah. 2013. I left a church that I grew up in, but my parents and my family still there. And that's how we connected, you know, you, you, uh, got invited over to have lunch or dinner with my parents because they they're awesome. They love having people over. And then they invited us over because I think you guys were a younger couple. My wife. Oh, and yes. then uh and and that was when we first met there. Uh I hadn't like deconstructed out of faith, out of the evangelical Christianity, but I had left the church. And that's that's the what we're referencing. If you want to hear that story, DM us. There's a whole podcast, there's websites made to the church there and all that. So yeah. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I had forgotten. So I'm glad you're telling me right in the middle of this podcast. So we had met. So
0: my, my partner and I have definitely deconstructed and kind of, I have our own sort of spirituality now or whatever. And you can read, you can see that at, throughout my podcast. I do have another podcast on deconstruction from uh, last year, which you could see, but basically in our lives, I think we were in our early thirties. You must've been in your early twenties. Um, she, we were like kind of seeking some sort of community outside of our medical healthcare community and outside of our kind of musician community. We were trying to like, you know, just learn some good lessons. And we had heard, uh, somebody had told us that this church was not fundamentalist and evangelical and that they were a rare church that kind of just like read the books and then like commented on them with like less theology. And so then I was like, okay, I'm willing to go here, but I'm not joining because I'm not going to sign something, which that you go into that in your, in your podcast. So, and so we went there and it started out like that, actually. Um, I think, I don't know, maybe they were in a positive phase or good mood or something. It started out like that. And then the longer we stayed, which I think was like a year and a half or two years, the worse it got some people left. And then the teachings got way more like evangelical, like hellfire, like scare tactics, shaming, blaming uh give us money we, just weirder and weirder stuff as i stayed so we eventually left um and just some incidents that occurred with people we knew and and uh, and and just the fact that everyone that controlled the church was related um or or, or either that either related or enmeshed in money Uh, and there didn't seem to be much oversight also struck us as as bad no we didn't really like not like it we're just like oh, this is no longer for us but we met your parents and they were like super cool they were like the nicest people ever i was like wow these are like the jesus christians that are like out there like actually applying this to their lives and i was like i want to know these people like how do they do this like they seem to be like actually living it so i was like this is cool so um so then you had grown up in that church or some sort of amalgamation of that church and you had kind of left which you can hear that story um but essentially that's how we met which was funny because even at that time you had not deconstructed away from faith you were just kind of like rebelling i see i just used it Uh you had you had rebelled against the structure that was attempting to impose their power over you in like a ridiculous way because you were like an adult at this age you know and they're like you're doing this brian how dare you And you're like, I'm an adult. Like, what are you doing? I didn't ask for this. Um, I didn't ask you to be my accountability partner. Now you're threatening me with letters, which people can read, um, and threatening me with like character defamation essentially i think yeah.
1: he, you almost could have sued except for that agreement you signed so anyway that's how we met which is bizarre go ahead If a church tells you as a grown-ass adult to move back in with your parents that's a really big red flag just so you know
0: oh yeah that's right i forgot <laughs> so there was a lot of weird cult aspects that were like kind of underneath the presentation i mean i gotta hand it to them the presentation of that place did not have cult vibes the presentation uh, and, uh, and when I first went, did not have even really, uh, any sort of like rule based kind of angry controlling patriarchal shit. Obviously the patriarchy was there because of who ran the place, but it didn't seem like demeaning towards women at all. And then the longer I stayed, I was like,
1: okay,
0: as long as they don't say anything, they're cool. Yeah. Um, so that being said, that's that I wanted to give the listeners a background because I think it's a unique tangent that i'm on because i knew you when you were younger and you were going through all this stuff and now you've got like a following online you've got people seeking you because you not only have been completely immersed in that evangelical world and different aspects of the progressive christian world you are now what i would a full-blown mystic i suppose or or something like that what would you say
1: yeah i mean it, it it Terms or and labels I don't like, but they're helpful, sure. obviously, to categorize. So you know, uh, I I I would say I can't say I don't necessarily identify as an atheist because I think atheist still lands on a fundamentalist level in the sense of certainty. Like I think certainty is is dangerous in in that world. Uh, you can say agnostic in the sense of I don't know, but I don't believe in God. Like I don't believe that there there exists a God, but I think we create God. So I think there's, there's, you know, uh, but I'm love spirituality. I love things that are outside of us and that we can't explain. And that's fascinating to me. And I think we need that. And so, yeah, that's, that's where, that's where I've landed. So it's, it's on the, the far end. Uh, but yeah, I went through all of it. I went through the extreme fundamentalist. I went through mega church. I worked for mega churches in the evangelical movement. So uh, I was a high up in leadership was given tons of leadership responsibilities, got to sit at the table and a lot of these different high level conversations within that movement saw behind the curtain, saw everything. And in a lot of times the people that deconstruct move on to, Oh, just more progressive forms of that faith or, You know they land on more liberal areas of it and i did that for a hot second and and just continued to trust my experience and my own process my own healing and yeah here i am well and i think the listeners hopefully they're not just shutting this off because
0: if you could hear what ryan said he did say two very opposite things which is i don't really believe in a god but we created God. So what's that? There, there's a little hook for you. And except Ryan, Ryan has the background of reading the Bible multiple times, I'm assuming, and also all the books behind you, um, which people won't see, but, you know, all these theological books, and have been actually a, a pastor. So yeah. um, there's also, we need spirituality. So to, to go into this deconstruction is it good for your mental health. We'll answer that question at the end, but you were kind of giving me a little bit of what deconstruction is and you wrote is the free act of value valuing or evaluating what was experiencing what is and holding a posture of curiosity moving forward can you explain what that means I, that's a quite a intense sentence
1: yeah yeah i think that when you know the deconstruction movement right that's the that was the hot thing that was the trend that was the hashtag whatever and and I think that obviously in certain religious circles you know they push back against deconstruction although <laughs> Jesus in their world was the greatest deconstructor of their own of his own faith um he's you know his his statement you've heard it said but I tell you that's a deconstruction phrase that's a deconstruction thing um but so I think that for The way I offer what deconstruction is in a healthy way is this act of you have to be able to be free to evaluate it. So I meet with people all the time. They are so inundated in their their church, their system, and all of that. And they're like, I want to deconstruct. These things don't happen, but I can't. I go, well, yeah, because you're not free. Like you're you have this thing over you that doesn't allow you to be to critically think, to freely think. So um deconstruction really at its core is this free act, being able to be free to be curious, to ask questions, to say this doesn't work, this isn't working. And a lot of times they only refer to things in the past. So like, oh, that back then, or oh, that scripture or, oh, that belief structure I had. Well, that's helpful, but you can't just live in the past. It has to come back to what is present. What are you presently experiencing? And don't devalue that and don't eliminate that. Um, And so really, again, just deconstruction being a free act of evaluating what was, what did that work? What was that like? What is going on right now? And then really open-handed to say, if it needs to change, it should change. And that can be catastrophic. That has a lot of ramifications. You can lose relationships. You can lose years. I lost years. I lost 30 years of belief structure. Yeah, that's, that's huge. So that's what I think healthy deconstruction is. And so it's not one point. It's not even like a month process. It is an ongoing thing. We do that all the time. We've done that in the health, the the fitness industry. We've done that in food, how we eat, what we, you know, oh, bacon's the devil. Oh, no, bacon's really good for you. Oh, butter's trash. No, butter's good. Like, it's always evaluating. It's always doing that. But this is just specific to faith, religion, spirituality. Absolutely. And in religion, at
0: least my experience, most of the religious communities I was involved in as a child— Um, I would say 90% of them. The cool thing about my upbringing, which I've said before, which I won't go into is I went to probably my God, 24 churches by the time I was 18, Mm. which was pretty sweet. I mean, some of them I just visited. Right. But like my parents, my, my dad is kind of a universalist. He he'll shoot me for saying that, but not, not physically, but he'll, he'll be mad at me. But like fundamentally he is that's what he 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 he, he believes is he doesn't believe in hell and these sort of things but he, he really hangs on to the the narrative and my mom was kind of just you know in in like whatever kind of christian faith seemed good and she's but she's open to other stuff too so i they kept going to different places and so i at a very young age i was like wait a minute here uh, these pastors are saying this and treating people like this, and they're bringing in politics and saying things about women. And these ones over here, this intellectual one, actually the famous Emerson Egeridge, you know that guy? He wrote um, Love and Respect. Yep, yep. He was my pastor when I was a teenager because before I left the church because I had heard him speak going to my friend's house. I stayed over and we went to his church, and I was like, holy cow, this guy's amazing. Like he And he really, I mean, obviously he's in the faith, and I don't like— I don't want to endorse his books, but if you had to read a Christian book, I would recommend his books because he actually is thoughtful. He's smart. He he's not like a a controlling weirdo. He doesn't seem to have political intentions and he writes stuff within the faith that is balanced and nuanced. Um, And, and so I, I grew a lot from that, but then I was like, and then he left. And then this guy came on who's saying, I'll never forget this. I'm proud to be an American in church. Um, Multiple times, and I was like, that's it. Like, I've been reading The Great Gatsby here uh, this whole spring semester of my 15-year-old self, and now I'm no longer reading The Great Gatsby in the church. Uh, Under the Bible, I'm going to now leave, and I got a job, and I never— I did not go back until actually, funny enough, pretty much around the time I met you, So, uh, which was 14 years, 15 years later for a short stint. But um, I want to make sure we talk about our intentions with this podcast because I'm going to be weaving in the personal because I don't feel like you can have a podcast like this without the personal experience and people can talk about their experiences as well but you grew up in the faith system. And so you have a a lot of talking points. I'm going to try to make sure you talk more than I do for the second half of this, but um, our intentions was uh, the first thing I will say is sort of like, we're not trying to destroy a faith system here for people listening. Can you explain a little bit about that with this podcast?
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a, there's a reason why the term is deconstruction, not destruction. Right. Um, And, and there's, you have to make sure that it's, and I, and everybody, not everybody, I think almost everybody goes through it where you want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, something's harmful and you just want to say screw it and be done and throw everything away. And, and I don't think that's health. I think that that's part of the process, but I don't think that's healthy. And the goal here, again, the goal of deconstruction is not to tear something down, uh, religion, a system, whatever. It's the goal is health. The goal is to be healthy, to experience healing and health. And so, uh, and I had to go through that. And and I remember reading a book. Actually, right here, it's a book, um, and it's written by this beautiful woman who is explaining kind of her journey and. I read it and every chapter, I just wanted her to just just sock it to the Christians. I wanted her to just land it. And she just refused. Like she said, really pointed things against it. And this is where it's harmful, but wouldn't throw it out. And I'm just, and I finished the whole book and I I DM'd her. I messaged her on Instagram. I was like, I loved your book. But it brought up all this anger because I wanted you to destroy it. And you never did. You were able to hold that tension and and that is really, and as I sat with it, it, it made me realize, like, no, the goal is not to destroy this system. Um, we can point out the harmful things. like you want to get rid of the harmful things in your life, but the goal is health. The goal is to be able and to recognize that in other people. So absolutely.
0: I, I like that. And the intention I, you wrote, which I thought was really nice, was, to offer freedom, hope, and beauty to people who are pursuing healing in their spiritual journey. And I think that's really a key point because some people will leave it. Some people will reform it, maybe create their own church. Some people will find a different type of religion. Some people will find a different type of spirituality. Some people, who knows, people will do all sorts of things and maybe all of the above. And, you know, part of me was, is like loving the church attendance numbers, just dropping to abysmal levels and them having to like this Kansas church, like hiring famous heavy metal rockers and driving a tank into an auditorium and how like ridiculous that is. And then another part of me is like scary, like, well, okay, they do want war. They do want power and they're willing to do anything to get the dominant narrative back because the church in is not controlling the narrative except through politics, I think in the U S um, which is not, really having to do anything with the Bible and the spiritual story other than um, kind of an affiliation, I suppose. Uh, so that being said, I just kind of brought it up. Why do you think a lot of people are deconstructing evangelical Christianity in particular in leaving the church? What are
1: your thoughts on that? I mean, I think there's a lot of contributing factors from what the people I've talked to and the people that I have connected with through throughout the country— uh, I kind of pin it down, at least that I've seen, two two points. One, we're in a, a massive technological age where information, we're on information overload, and the information is very interconnected. So 15, 20, 30 years ago... It was a lot harder to find all the information, all the studies, all the different things. I mean, Google was a thing, but not to the extent that it is now. I mean, you scroll on TikTok now, and everybody is on there offering different forms of information. Um, every YouTube, if you <laughs> I use YouTube to find out how to fix a washing machine in my home. Like that's just it's readily available. And I think with that comes an awareness that wasn't there before. So I think people are waking up in the sense of becoming like, oh my gosh, like oh, I can find out where actually all the scriptures came from. I it's not just my lead pastor telling me and that's all I know. So I think there's an awareness and then with awareness comes more questions and finding things out and when it doesn't match up with what has been told there's some hurt there. So I think that's part of a a big movement. Second, I would say is that what is being taught has not fit with their lived experience. And that was the biggest thing for me. Um, The theology that I was taught, the things from the pulpit that were told to me, the answers I was given to life's questions, when I went through that life, it didn't make sense or it didn't feel good and it didn't give me hope. And so that immediately sent me into, well, I'm going to investigate that. So your answer to the problem of evil doesn't feel good when I experience that, when I experience suffering and pain. And so I'm going to investigate that. And when I investigated it, there was no answers within that world. And so I went, well, I can fake it and just brush it aside. But if you trust your true lived experience, you can't do that. It just doesn't sit. And so, yeah, I think that is a big reason why um, they just don't have the answers that are satisfying. And and it's not that they don't have answers. It's that it just doesn't satisfy. It doesn't offer healing. And I think people want healing. I think they want health. They're tired of being unhealth- unhealthy. There we go. I love that. This is why you should talk more than me.
0: So I'm going to just make a few comments before moving into some of these topics, which is um, I do think that over over the years humans' consciousness are evolving, and you see that with every generation, they have different priorities, uh, you know that are similar. Um, If you like pull people like in the boomers, if you pull people in Gen X, if you pull people in the millennial, if you pull people in uh, the big people between millennials and Gen Z, you're going to get different priorities, different aspects. And and interestingly enough, like, you know, with the newer generations, because of this technological revolution, which I've heard people uh, compare it to the invention of the printing press in 1440 A.D., Uh, in Germany, the printing press started. And because of that, what happened was common people were able to read books, starting with a lot of spiritual texts, but then kind of going, geez, beyond anything, occult readings, uh, novels. And and this sort of started this sort of intellectual revolution in parts of Europe and then all over the world eventually, uh, where people had access to information through libraries and places where we could share power. And And that led to shared more shared power, because before that, if you were illiterate, you were basically a feudal person in Europe and you had to work the land and you had no power and all the power was inherited um, through uh, sort of what do you want to call that nepotism and and wealth uh, through the monarchies or the people in power, which were usually friends with the people in the power of the church who could, cr- who could craft that narrative to keep them there, not only spiritually, I mean, in some tribes, you know, and in some groups that the, you know, the emperor Roman empire was God's son, right? right. Uh, in native American, uh, not native American, but, uh, in like, some native tribes that are not in America, the like the chief was ordained by the god spirits or this whatever spirits. And in Europe, of course, it was like God's blessing was on the monarchy or whatever, and they got to keep all the power. Then the power structure shifted, and you can read that in your history classes. So I think the invention of the internet in the 80s, but not really accessible until hmm, – I'd say we went through multiple little mini revolutions. You can look that up. But I think 2000, then 2010, it just accelerated it with the smartphone revolution. People having this information. Now we're in a new, I think even a, a, a more interesting revo- uh, revolution of all the videos where people are taking their time making professional or semi-professional grade videos, sharing their opinions, their intellect, their research, sometimes they're bullshit, and people are consuming it without, (laughs) we have not evolved, or many of us have evolved or been taught critical reasoning and and how to discern sources and how to discern intent. And so people can be oddly easily influenced, except not just the power structures in their propaganda, It could be Joe Schmo, underground guy, talking about lizard people that are eating your children and blood libel type claims. And you would believe it. Uh, And people do believe it. Uh, You know, QAnon is one of the one one things I'm referencing uh, because it's the most mythological, insane thing ever with bits of truth sprinkled in. Right. To make it digestible to people that are too tired, which is another problem with the economy to to basically do their own research. I'm like relying on you. You're like my little mini TikTok pastor if you would. And uh <laughs> the joke of about therapy is that therapists are the postmodern priests. Yeah. Um because the therapist if they're not like connected to the religious fundamentalism world are supposed to be non-biased, non-judgmental as much as possible, deconstruct that on themselves, go to their own therapy, go to their own supervision and essentially help that person find what healing path they can find based on their culture, right. their deconstruction, their journey, not our view of what they should do right. uh, as a therapist. Cause there's a lot of therapists that listen to this. Yeah. Um, but the funny part of then that is that I'm like, okay, well, we're the postmodern priest, but priests have an agenda. They need to keep you in line. They need to keep you giving money. They need to keep you thinking that your soul is in peril, you know? So, uh, but there's so many like a confluence of factors here that you said the lived experience this is and this and i think is really a huge point i want to make the young people and i'm talking millennials even some gen xers um uh but the millennials and younger are really talking about what is actually their lived experience versus these sort of boilerplate narratives that I think the boomers and, and the older generations grew up with because of the way media was distributed and because of the way power and information was distributed, unless you were like a weirdo that like just read a lot of books in your house and had a library card and, you know, all this sort of thing or met in these little book clubs, there, there wasn't, you know, or ran an alternative press, you know, like these <laughs> zines or whatever, yeah. like, except unless you were a weirdo, you didn't have access to alternative information. And so like we I look up to all the weirdos, the spiritual weirdos, the beatniks, all these people that went and just made their own media and were like, this is bullshit. This is propaganda in and, and the news and, and these books. Um, now anybody can do that. But <laughs> the problem is not everyone has the discipline to actually know what the hell they're looking at, yeah. which is a whole nother problem. So we're in a weird time because on one hand, I'm like, I am so impressed with the young people going, this isn't this is bullshit. And they're going online and they're saying, this is my experience. They're being vulnerable, which I don't even think was happening in 2010 as much. It was more still that kind of acting YouTube thing. Now on YouTube or TikTok, people are like, I went to Starbucks. This is what happened to me. This racist thing happened to me. This is what happened to me. I was sexually abused. This is what literally happened to me. And they're being, they're telling their honest, bare story, not even to a therapist. They're probably saying to the therapist too, but they're just saying it for millions of people and people are going, oh my gosh. And they're thinking through that. They're going, wait a minute, maybe I, maybe this is happening to me, right? So I think that kind of authentic revolution doesn't jive well with fundamentalist or evangelical religion or even almost religion in general. Um, one of the things Carl Jung says was one of the main functions of formalized religion is to protect people against a direct experience of God. Now that I'm going, I'm going a little too far, but that idea that your felt experience was not lining up with the kind of boilerplate theological answers you were getting makes sense because you have the freedom ish, To have experiences, to talk to different people from different religions, to talk to people that don't have religion, to read all these books, which maybe two or 300 years ago, you would have had very limited access to other people, telling stories, other books, other alternative viewpoints, depending on where you lived and where you grew up. So um, there's a lot there, but I I want to stick to some of the stuff you put there, but I think it's important to, to understand where you're coming from, but also to dive into um, how people can deconstruct. And I I think in this sort of outline we were looking at, we're going to connect. We're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about religion. We're going to talk about the positive, how to integrate healthy spirituality in that. But I think I want to to take a second to talk about maybe the disconnect between the church's power, money, and control. And people's experiences with just trying to get healing and and life in that. can you can you comment on that?
1: Yeah, so I think that that why the direct experience like tomorrow young, why our personal experience, our lived experience is so threatening to the institution of church is that the evangelical, church is built on power money and control and lived experience either shows that unhealth or goes directly against all of those things so for instance power um and you can see it how it's been spun in evangelicalism in how they interpret and show the bible um the church is built on a, a hierarchy, power structure, deeply rooted in, com- I would say, completely rooted in patriarchy. Uh, you can see this this little icon. Just Google it. Uh, it's it's this umbrella picture: God, husband or man, woman, child, like that. And that is that is the root of it. And oh, they'll deny it. No, 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 no. We're you know men, men and women are the same. No, 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 no. It's God, the husband, I would probably say God, church, the husband, woman, you know, wife, child. It's, it's entrenched in this power structure. And so like for my wife and I, my wife is an incredible human being and she is incredibly brilliant and smart and skilled and phenomenal. And they don't like that. The church doesn't like empowered women, they, especially within leadership in the church. That's why you don't see women pastors. Oh, women can never be pastors. <laughs> okay, right. So it's so our lived experience of that. These there's these brilliant women, and why don't they have a voice? So, crap. Now what do we do? Right, uh, and then money, right? So the lived experiences. <laughs> I made a, a Facebook post. And just said, hey, it was during Christmas time. I think it was a few years ago. I just said, hey, just so you know, be free. You don't have to tithe during Christmas. You don't have to give a special offering. Spend that money on your kids. You would think, I mean, that was that. I had pastors of megachurches commenting on it, being like, that's, you know, losing their ever-loving mind. And I just went, I know families who are struggling with money. And they don't have a ton of money and they want to give their kids this incredible experience and they want to buy their kid this toy. And yet they feel shamed and guilty for not giving that to the church. And so this lived experience of, hey, give your kid a freaking amazing Christmas present. That's okay. Well, if they do that, then they don't give money to the church. Again, the lived experience attacks and is in, oh, now what do we do with that? You know, And, and then you know control. They want to control the narrative. That's why it's interesting. They'll tell you to trust the Holy Spirit and tell the Holy Spirit tells you to do something that they don't want you to do, right? I can't tell you the number of young people I've sat with who have told me, my pastor taught me how to pray, but then when I was praying to God, I felt like God was telling me to go do this. I went and told my pastor, and my pastor was like, "No, you can't do that. What do you do with that?" And now there's this massive crisis within this young person to go. I I, I don't know what I don't know what to believe. I don't the the like right because well, it's, it's control. That pastor doesn't want you to do that because he doesn't like that, and he doesn't want you to leave and go to this college because then he's going to lose you. At, It's all tied into this thing. So this is what we're talking about when the lived experience, of, especially within this young generation, and we're starting to see it even with the abuse of those things, right? So it started within the Catholic church and the abuse that was happening from priests to young kids. And now it's coming out even more. It's almost like every week, this fundamentalist church, this youth pastor or senior pastor has been caught with abusing kids and whatever like so and they're getting on tiktok and they're sharing those stories
0: well we can say i mean just google hillsong church yep. you can google the um who was that guy from seattle was it like axe 29 network i can't remember his mark name driscoll yeah driscoll look up mark driscoll look up um the the ravi zachariah is that a guy yeah yep. he, he, he was a very famous christian guy um preacher there is behind the curtain behind the veil of this church which is ex- sort of preaching purity, love, um, holiness, uh, family values, um, sort of like a belonging to a family, to a tribe, become part of us. There are there is a double speak. Right. Uh, which is um, do that, but w- within these confines. And I would argue that a lot of them are very slick at it, but the confines are even more constricting than most family systems. Correct. And meaning like your, you know, your parents would never do that to you. Right. The the supposed God in the Bible, depending on how you're reading it, wouldn't do that to you. But if you think about it, it, is the church at over the years became an industry <clears throat> and when it becomes an industry and when it becomes not maybe what it was originally intended to be, which is some sort of fellowship group that everybody shares money or whatever that was in the new Testament. I don't remember what verse that was, but that's in there, right? Um, service work, a way to share. It just absorbed the power structure that, you know, had probably been there, the patriarchy and it's run with it, but now with more interesting marketing with, uh, compliant women, unfortunately, enabling women who maybe are feeling a sense of belonging, but are also being controlled. Um, plenty of yes, men, um, of course get your buddies and your family on the church board that's pretty pretty good way to go um, if you really want to make money um and control the narrative but controlling the narrative is big and i think um you know there there is a there's a, that's actually one of the big things i think we're in the revolution of who controls the narrative uh, in the war, the unfortunate war that's taking place, you see both sides putting out kind of PR pieces. I mean, mean, this this is why our killing was justified. This is why this bombing was justified and vice versa and using social media and YouTube. I mean, the, chur- the church is in a, in a massive, I think, fear-based chaos right now, a lot of the churches, because they are relying on people biting the whole hook, line and sinker. Because if you don't, if you just kind of come to the church and are like, oh, this is cool. That's a nice place for my kids to go. And I'll come once in a while and I'll give like a hundred bucks every couple months. Huh. You know, kind of like, thanks guys. Thanks for the free coffee and donuts. Um, eh, that That's not going to make them any money. And that's probably not going to make them uh, have long-term subscribers <laughs> to use that word from YouTube um, and podcast world. Uh, if you're not subscribed to this podcast, hit that button. Just kidding. Um uh, <laughs> I don't care, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, it, that model drifts in and then that model conflicts with some of the messaging that maybe somebody like you who has read the you know Bible and, and, and tried to take the good parts of it out. It's a conflict. Um, and, and, and then of course, I love the new people getting in, they got all into these like, uh, you know bad arguments, uh, logical fallacies, uh, gaslighting, which is a huge thing mm-hmm. right now, I mean, I'm being gaslit by narcissists. Well, it, there was a study done. You can look this up. The most narcissistic professions, uh, uh meaning like the people that were sorry, I'm not, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but they did a poll of like people with like who had been diagnosed or accused of being narcissistic personality disorder. Number one, pastors and priests. 100%. I think number two was surgeons. Number three, I believe, was lawyers. Anyway, so, oh, oh, politicians and then lawyers, I think. Um, But anyway, you can read that. So it's like the people leading this institution, which is supposed to be for all these good, positive things, aren't dealing with their own stuff. They're not, not all of them. There's plenty that are. But there's a lot of people not dealing with their own stuff. They're just in the industry. They're trapped in the industry because you went your whole life and went to get a degree in ministry. Now you're trapped in this system. You cannot deconstruct the system. You can't allow people to be like, oh, yeah, come and, you know, you do allow people to come and eat your donuts, but you want them to take the whole pledge and, and give you 10% of their income or whatever it is. Um, so it's it's this bizarre thing that actually kind of wrecks the spiritual experience of many parishioners. Is that, am
1: I, am I kind of saying that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. It's, it. You know, even everybody, <laughs> I remember being a pastor and the bit that the phrase, the popular phrase was, oh, we want to, We want to be a first century church or, and actually really is more like, well, actually, you're talking second, third century, but we want to be a first century church. We want to be a, you know, one of the original, like, we want to be like that. And it's like, well, let's go back to that and see what was going on there. One. <laughs> So, are we still talking about women being married off just above cattle? Like, are we still, are, oh, you want a church like that? Do you want, you know, oh, no, women were, women were pastors and leaders in there. Yeah. No, 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 you, you sorry. Like, that's just another side of the same coin. You no. Know? Do you, do you want to go back to like, and if you even want to take the, the quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes for those of you listening, the good things so actually the the sharing everything and the giving of money and all of that actually none of that went to leaders. that went to the poor and the people who were marginalized and the people that couldn't make it. So, if you want to be a first century church, it sounds actually a lot more like socialism, and you tell you you bring that into America and they're oh God, no, oh no, no. okay, well, that's you're giving up all of your income so that widows poor all of that actually can have a sustainable life like it's just it's just a mess and and people just don't realize it and so ultimately they couldn't do that and so with specifically within america in love with capitalism there's there's opportunity right uh it, most people don't even realize that The pilgrims came over to America, not because they wanted to be more expressive in their faith than what they were getting from the Church of England. It was actually they thought the Church of England was being too loose with their faith, and they wanted a more rigid, they wanted more Puritan-style faith. And that's why they left. Like, that's not what we were taught as Christians in Little Bible School. We were taught that they wanted to, to be more free and that the Church of England was oppressive to their faith. It was reversed. Like, and so you just, it's this, it's again, just this massive thing of they don't actually want healthy spirituality. They don't. They want their own selfish gain. They want control. They want power. And I get it. We all have that inside us as, as humans. Power feels good. <laughs> Control feels good. Like that's just part of it. Um, and then you just exponentially increase it and it becomes a system, becomes a movement, becomes a cult, becomes a tribe, all of those things.
0: Yeah. I mean, we have that in all of us, but the, and <clears throat> I think the worst part and why a lot of people get damaged by spiritual abuse and religious abuse is that the spirituality or the religion is utilized to control them to take their money to have power over um to prove a point and when you prove a point you're like and god said and you believe in that god i mean that's kind of like the ultimate um i hate saying that but I'm, I'm gonna say trump card i guess um it's the ultimate like win you know what i mean it's like this is a sacred thing that's above you and you can't have anything to say about it. and a lot of people have accepted that because they don't know that there is alternatives, or they don't want to face alienation. They don't want to face uh, being thrown out. I mean, in the Mormons, uh, the Church of Latter Day Saints is is famous that if you that they have all these people on their <laughs> enrollment list that are "quote unquote" members of the church, they're called Jack Mormons, and they haven't gone to church in twenty years. Maybe on Christmas or something, and they, they aren't allowed in the temple. That's for sure. Uh, they drink co- uh, They drink uh, sugary beverages and, co- uh, and caffeine and hot beverages or whatever Joseph Smith didn't like. They do all that stuff. Um, and, and 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 but if they take their name off the rolls, they're called an apostate, an enemy of the church. Heret beyond heretic, like you're an enemy of God, you're immediately damned. And then the bishop, usually, I think the bishop and the power structure, they have a very organized power structure in the Mormon church. At least, I mean, I mean, in my, in my opinion, at least the Mormons are somewhat honest about who they are. Anyway, like we want you in this seven days a week and follow these rules. Like they're pretty upfront about it, you know, and they have their cool food pantry that gives to poor people that are lonely, that want to, they want to join the church and take their money. But i uh, i think at least in the mormons it's like very obvious and then the and then the bishop comes and talks to your family and it's like what's wrong with them and the, and, and, it, and it's it's literally laid out And the in the evangelical movement it's depends on the place there's so many i think i read there was thirty thousand distinct protestant denominations now you know shocked. and it's insane. what's that
1: so that's insane yeah right
0: so so it's just degrees of that, right? It's it, it just that the, the, I feel like the Church of Latter-day Saints is a bit more organized and a bit more centralized in their power. But one of the things that I think led to me deconstructing my faith was not only the lived experience was off, like on some things it was on, like love your neighbor. Um, you know, don't say things that are bad to people. I don't know what that was like. Don't speak ill of your neighbor. I don't know, whatever, like things like that made sense. Cause I feel good if I'm not talking trash about my friend. And I feel good if I'm loving one another and loving people. And I, and I think I took that to an extreme. I was like, that's the Jesus part. I like, I'm just going to love everybody. Love, 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 which probably led to me being a therapist. And I do love all my clients and patients and people I work with. But the problem then is another issue, but that's a personal issue is that if you love, 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 you don't have boundaries. (laughs) And you don't know how to say no when somebody's abusive to you. You don't know how to say no when you're tired. Uh, you don't know how to set up those formal boundaries, which, you know, we could say that's a personal thing. You know, that's a personal thing I went through, but, but I, I, I liked that part of the, 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 the spiritual teaching. But then I, but these other things, like when, when people would die and they would just like give these, well, they're in heaven dancing with Christ to disco right now, like, this sort of shit. I was just like, come on. You're not even being with the grief. At least the Jewish people, they sit. I mean, the traditional Jewish faith, they sit with the dead body in the house for seven days and make you grieve. Like that's more healthy to like psychology than this sort of like stupid cupcake ceremony. You had at church where everyone's like, it was was so sad, but they're with heaven. They're in heaven. Now it's bypassing. It's unhealthy. Um, their answers about hell, I could do a whole podcast on that. I kind of did in the last one. We won't go into that too much, but like that whole thing you know, a scare tactic from the Catholic church, uh, the, the way that they've manipulated things about women and gay people and all of this thing, but just, you don't have to go into modern, uh, modern times. Just look at the history of the church. Look at the burning of quote unquote, witches, which were women who were maybe not married and gave herbs to people that were sick mostly. Um, let's look at uh, the way that Rome saw the church as a threat, the socialist kind of church. You're talking about the first century church and made Christianity, the official religion of Rome. So they could co-opt it. Look at the way the Catholic church inspired the inquisition to go murder people that would not profess faith. Or sometimes they would profess their faith and then they'd murder them. Right. I mean, the infidel thing, that whole, so, I mean, Just look at, if you're a person out there, just read about the church history. And the problem is, is that, yeah, maybe it's less violent currently, Uh, physically violent, except for the sexual abuse. Okay, (laughs) that's happening. It's more more or less uh, objectively, physically out there violent, usually. It's psychologically violent. It it is psychologically violent and and just, and, in in many ways. I'm not saying the text of the Bible is, I'm saying the the way that it's interpreted. So um, I want to kind of get into that formalized religion talk a little bit more and talk about some of your, your viewpoints on the kind of like you know, maybe why people are drawn to church, how that is mixed with politics and some of the issues that you have with the church and why you've kind of deconstructed
1: from that. Yeah, I mean, I think that one thing that I encourage people to do is almost in a sense, deconstruct your deconstruction. <laughs> uh, it's it's using the the, the current system's systematic approach on itself and this is what i mean uh it's a very popular phrase within christianity you will know you will know them by their fruit like the you you know the roots by the fruit like that was always like a big thing like roots to fruit like you can see if there's goodness in the roots by if it produces good fruit like jesus says stuff like that um so okay so let's take that and let's apply it to Christianity. And I get it. People will say, oh, but there's been so much good that has come out from it. Da, 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 da. I would argue that the good that has come out of specifically Christianity is not really a whole lot different than, at least at the root of it, it, than a lot of other faiths and religions. Um, The idea that love your enemies was, was not created by Jesus. Jesus's contemporaries were saying things like that. Oh my gosh, Jesus, so revolutionary. Love your enemies. No. Now, that might have been revolutionary to the Jewish people who in the Old Testament were told, you're the chosen people, and anybody that doesn't conform, you are free to go and violently destroy. Okay. So it's this, this whole thing of... of And that's, I just started to see that within my own local church. And that was a part of the system. Um, But I started seeing behind the curtain and started to see like, the lead pastor was not healthy. He was a jerk. He was manipulative. He was an extreme narcissist. Okay. Um, The conversations that they would have behind closed doors and then the narrative that they would tell the church about something was totally different. I'm just Blatant lying. That's weird. You just preach the sermon on honesty and vulnerability and authenticity, and that's what we're called to. And it's okay to be messed up and confess your sins. And yet you won't be that honest with your people. And so you just start seeing these things go, you know, on and on and on and on. And at the end of the day, you just kind of go, okay, like you have a choice. You can either just say, Oh. The system's broken, but I'm just going to be a part of it, whatever. Or you have to make a different choice. And I made a different choice. So uh, I just encourage people constantly, to okay, well, look at the fruit of it. Look at it. It's the same thing that we do in therapy. It's the same. Like, how's that working for you? And if the pain of staying is not as bad as the pain of leaving, you're not going to make a change. And it's not until that crisis comes it goes. No, I think I need to leave. I think something needs to shift. And so that's that's where that's where I went.
0: Sometimes I dream you are in my summer dream. So, yeah, you did leave, um, and I, I imagine that wasn't easy. So could you tell us a little bit about some of the resistance you faced by leaving and maybe some of the stuff you still get today because of that?
1: Yeah. I was – I know for a lot of people when they leave, the biggest pain is is family, like immediate family. Um, I, I've been very lucky. My My parents have chosen relationship over – dogma and doctrine uh, they've made it a point to say we'd rather have a relationship with you and your family and and us be a family than be right or argue about right or wrong um and so so i don't know if i've caused them shame I, I mean i don't cause them shame i make my own choices i don't know if they've experienced shame because of it um i don't think so i think they've i think they've actually matured and, and understood that they love me for me but the hardest really the hardest thing was All all of the people that I thought I had deep relationships with within Christendom, from church, from ministry, close, close people, all of those relationships got shown how frail that actually was really built. like The fabric, the foundation of it was as flimsy as simply saying, I don't actually believe that anymore. Uh, I still have a lot of connections with people, but the friendship, I've lost. They are no longer really what I would define as friends. They're acquaintances. And that's devastating. You get put on an island and you don't have anywhere to go. And then you add on top of that the attacks that come from people and they're bombing you while you're on an island. So it's a double-edged sword. You get put on an island because all those friends go away. And they don't. I don't think a lot of them did it maliciously. I don't think they were like, we want to hurt Ryan. They just, their only connection was a specific faith. Like that sucks. And then the attacks come and I go, oh, I want to call my friend. Oh, well, he's a pastor at that church and he hasn't talked to me in two years. Oh, okay. And and I think that was just, that was hard. That was super, just the isolation of it. And, and I think that's why people jump to another community, a spiritual community, a religious community, that's just like a little bit better version of what they left not because they actually think it's the best thing but because they are so desperate it's like bouncing from one coping skill mechanism to another coping mechanism I don't blame those people I, I understand it's not gonna it's not it doesn't produce healing it doesn't provide healing um but yeah it's it was hard it was isolating thankfully I had one or two people that said hey I don't agree with you but I'll be here for you And those people are (laughs) beautiful and amazing and I value them deeply. My wife was super supportive. My wife actually deconstructed even before I did. And that's a whole nother beautiful thing, but, um, but I'm still, I still experience it. I mean, I'm three, four years out from really deconstructing. I, I coach junior high basketball and I've had these group of boys for a long time. And a parent just reached out to me and just said, Hey, Ryan, we're just going to move on. Uh, Your beliefs are your beliefs, but we want somebody who uh, has our beliefs to be influencing our son. And I mean, I've, I've given blood, sweat, and tears for this kid. I've, I've never pushed beliefs or changing beliefs on my kids that I coach. Like I coach them to be wonderful young men. And it was devastating that, they would make that choice that just because i differ in my beliefs that i they don't think that i can be a good influence on their son like that sucks that's rough i don't agree with it i respect that that's a that's the parents decision But it's devastating. So I still experience those things. I still get called. I I get shamed for you let my kid down. You were their youth pastor, and now look at you. How dare you? (laughs) Um, Which is their own, their own pain, their own stuff. But it's it it stings. But yeah. So that's those are some of the painful things. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole thing
0: there um, that we could get into further but you said something to me we were talking before about why often there is a big difference between instant institutional religion and and, and actual spirituality uh, uh, and why religion is often a secretly anti-personal experience um i feel like that kind of a, that was just striking me because it's like if you believe this and you're in this boat then that sort of gives you a lot of privilege and power and influence in that group and maybe other groups too, because they're like, Oh, he's a pastor. Right. But if you say, well, my belief systems have shifted, I'm still the same guy. I mean, I'm not, I don't see you. (laughs) It's not like your personal moral compass has shifted. You're like, you know, married with children and they go to school and you like pay taxes and as far as I can tell uh, are an upstanding citizen (laughs) (laughs) devoted to your family, which in many ways is like the idea of the Christian archetype, like the Christian male in the U S archetype that they want us to be. Um, But yet, okay, well, he doesn't believe this fundamentally. He has a broader viewpoint of God and spirituality and religion, and therefore he is dangerous versus the actual narcissists running the church, the people molesting people in the church, the people controlling people in the church, the people living, you know, th- we can't, it's like, well, you know, it, it, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, it's every day you read new stories of abuse, because I think if people are going to be in a position of authority like that, it's unchecked by our economic and state government systems. For instance, as a therapist. I have a like 25 page ethical document that I have to abide by. Not only that, there are hundreds of pages of legislation in both states I'm licensed in that restrict me from exploiting, from hurting people, from pushing beliefs, from taking extra money, um, from doing anything that could possibly, uh, have a negative power structure over a client. And I have that license. And, um, it's protective of the clients because let's just say I'm a therapist in the office for 30 years. And I sort of like, Oh, I kind of like this client. Maybe we'll be friends. Maybe it'll give me, uh, you know, tickets to a rock show, we, you know, and, and then that wrecks the, the, that wrecks the therapy for the client, right? That's unethical, right? Or have a, 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 God forbid a sexual relationship with the client that is, you will lose your license. You are no longer a therapist in this state. The pastors are their own watchdogs. If I had to, if you had to get a license to be a pastor and you had to sign this code of ethics, just a basic code of ethics, maybe one page, like, I don't know, don't sleep with people that you groomed while you were a pastor and they were like a 16 year old girl. And now they're 22 and you are having sex with them, which happened in two churches I grew up in, which has happened to many of my patients. Um, uh, such as, you know, don't take expensive gifts uh, from parishioners, don't exploit parishioners for money, like you're, they're on their deathbed and you're like, oh maybe an extra 100000 would help the church that will help us pray, we'll pray a special prayer for you. Um, this it's unchecked the, the, ch- the people checking are their relatives or other pastors who have a similar agenda. How is that? That is insane. And the church isn't taxed <laughs> they're not taxed what in the world is that? Um, I'm taxed, I'm held to a a standard that um, is very, very high. It's beyond, um, I'm held to a a standard that is multiple points above legal standards. Um, And and so I think that's possibly why, you know, human beings unfortunately abuse this institution that is supposedly for a good, healthy life, but actually (laughs) in people's lived experience, especially the young people, it, it it is often not a healthy thing. Like there are elements of health, right? Like getting together with kids and drinking soda instead of alcohol on a Friday night and going and volunteering at a Salvation Army breakfast or something. These are positive things. But there are plenty of groups who also do this that don't take 10% of your income, don't try to control your life, don't have patriarchal views. Uh, I would say... On the, on the baseline, volunteer groups all around the area, book clubs, um, sporting groups, uh, these are all places that make good decisions and have decent ethics and have more rules than possibly the church you go to, except for the rules controlling you. I mean, that church has a lot of those if you sign the agreement. So uh, let's talk a little bit about—I I don't want to keep repeating ourselves, but um, because I want to get into— maybe some of your harsher critiques of evangelical Christianity, um, which I'm going to preview. I'm not going to go there yet, but sex cult, patriarchal, idolatrous, uh, anti-critical thinking, anti-modern scientific exploration. I'm going to get to that because I think some people are hungry for that. But I do want to talk about the idea of how the church is just becoming another golf club in the u.s or a political party can you ad hoc that for a minute
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's amazing and i think as the political climate in our country has become more polarized and there's a whole there's that's a whole that's a whole podcast in and of itself of american politics um you know, there's supposed to be a separation of church and state. There are specific there are specific rules within the uh, you know, 501c3 and their their tax benefits and all of those things where they can or can't say something. They can't, you know, host a political party. All those things, but there's always ways to get around it. And I always i I always push lead pastors. I tell them. Because the rules only are restrictive to what they say in the pulpit. They can say something on social media. They can go off and say, you know, that, that, that won't put them in any danger of losing their status. But I'll tell them, hey, post publicly who you voted for and see what happens to your congregation. They won't do it. They won't do it. Why? Why? Because they'll lose people, right? So if they come out and say, hey, I voted for Donald Trump, at least in Arizona, they probably won't lose too many people, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, swung the other way, this way, I guess, but like fairly still conservative out here. To be fair, that was all Maricopa
0: county that, that swung the election. But yes.
1: Or say, hey, I voted for Biden. See what, see what happens to your generation. Right. Yeah. You'll lose people. You lose people. You lose people either way. But isn't that fascinating? that because a lead pastor voted a certain way, that has nothing to do with, they're still teaching the same things, preaching the same sermons, holding the same doctrines, right? But because you voted a certain way in the political party, in a political world, people will leave. That just shows that people aren't, that the religion isn't, Pure in what it claims to be, it's in bed with agendas. It's in bed with ideologies. All those different things, and I think that that's that's the the danger, and that's where people just don't understand and they don't see it. That's the difference between a spiritual community that I can welcome somebody who could could line up beautifully with the same types of things, spiritual things that I do and vote completely different. And I can go, Hey, I love you and I accept you and you belong and I can be friends with you and we can disagree. And that's okay. That won't ruin our, our spiritual community. It won't ruin our relationship and we can have really good talks and we can live in that tension because politics isn't in bed with (laughs) our, our ideas and, And that's what it is, specifically within evangelicalism and Christian nationalism. And that's why they spin America as a Christian nation. It was built on Christian principles. No, it wasn't. No, stop that. Like, no. That's easily
0: deconstructed if you actually read a
1: book. (laughs) Just read any actual history and you'll realize, no. And then I always tell people... Okay, so if that's what version of Christianity are you talking about? If it was built on Christianity and Christian principles, which Christianity? Because you've got Eastern Orthodox Christianity, you've got Western Christianity, you've got all these different kinds of things. What Christianity are you talking about specifically? I think, no, you 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 can't. And the idea that we were we gotta we gotta make America, Uh, Not great again, but we've got to make America Christian. We've got to win this country for God. Says who? Well, we're the new Israel. I mean, yeah, that's that's Christian nationalism. We are God's chosen country, Israel 2.0. We like that blueprint. Um, yeah. in
0: Western because you said capitalism is now the church's blueprint for success, which I thought was definitely true but that it's it's this it's like it's like a micro crusade, right We're winning this country for God it, it doesn't they say it has to do with the souls for the soldiers going out there but it has to do with power and control and who's who's invited to their clubs and where the influences and you can look at that starting in the 80s with the moral majority um and but i i would i would shiver if we become the new chosen people because that is mythologically wrong uh it, it's a wrong place to be in the that, myth and the narrative of the
1: old testament
0: oh yeah well how, well how about my favorite verse of the old testament judges 331 let's go let's go with the new international version because that's, that's a big popular one with the, with the current Christians after Ehud came Shamgar badass name, by the way, Shamgar son of Anath who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. An ox goad is also known as a cattle prod. So a this long, a metal thing on the end, th- this is just one of many violent celebrations Probably thousands of them in the Old Testament, where basically because these Philistines were in the wrong place at the wrong time or pissed off Israel, good old Shamgar was like, I'm going to go kill all y'all, like kind of like No Country for Old Men style, except 600 with a cattle prod. So this, this violence of the Old Testament that the evangelicals have loved to jump in, they love the, the love story to get people to come and the Christmas story to get people to join. But then there is, there is whether they know it or not, a backlog of violence. I think the violence used to be kind of girded in control and power. And now that they're losing members and they they're, they're losing money— and they're in bed with uh, definitely at least one of the parties in the U.S., if not a little bit of both um, political parties. I i am starting to hear violent sort of narratives coming out about non-Christians. Um, they often just pick on the easy ones, such as the minority populations of the gay people or immigrants. Those are the easy populations that the, the Christians have been uh, evangelicals have been railing against as ruining the country. Um, I I think if anyone's capable of ruining the country, it's them because they have a belief system that says you need to believe like us or you're forsaken. You have to believe like us or you're going to hell. You need to believe like us or you're a bad boy or girl or they, or whatever, like that, that is a psycho. That is a psychotic narrative. Um, it is not loving. It is not what the new Testament talks about, um, you they'll the cherry pick some verses out there where Jesus is pissed at the Pharisees. Blah blah blah. I covered that in my other podcast. But the, ultimately, the, no one's checking them except, especially in their own church. So then the, the checking comes from people outside of the church going, "Whoa, whoa, slow down your roll there, right?" But right now, I would say that a, a good swath of the country, especially politically, have gone, "Whoa, this is a great opportunity." These people believe this shit. Okay, let's utilize them to go out and vote in droves and convert their neighbors and get angry about these like micro subgroups of United States citizens that are, quote unquote, ruining the country that vote a different way. Let's scapegoat them, you know, and let's 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 uh, let's take over. Let's take over the country. There is a. There is a need for power, because if you truly believe that, you know, a lot of the New Testament stuff about, like, loving your neighbor as yourself, you know, whatever you could probably say, but all this love business that, you know, Jesus was about, if you truly believe that, why are you violent? Why are you violently attempting to take over? Or maybe not physically violent yet, hopefully, Uh, that could be coming, but um, at least violently involved in the political sphere. Um, what well, Jesus was against that, he was murdered by the state. Um, he was murdered because of, you know, his, his actions. And you can read that in the gospels. It's pretty obvious. Um,
1: thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think at the, at the core of it, it you're, you're talking about a, a, re, a religion, a system a faith that ultimately is, you're either in or out. And that's inherently violent. What good parent says, hey, if you don't agree with me, you no longer are my kid. Truly. That is not a healthy parent. That's not a good parent. That's a horrible parent. That's a psychotic parent. That's There's something wrong there. You can say, "Hey, if you don't agree with me, we'll have tension. It will. It could cause more conflict. That's fine. But you always belong. Like you're always my kid. Like my son. I'm a diehard Phoenix Suns fan. I don't know where my kid gets this. He's a Warriors fan, a Golden State Warriors fan. Death to me. (laughs) (laughs) He loves Steph Curry. I mean, he loves the Suns, but like his team is the Warriors. If I were if I were to treat him like crap." or the extreme you're no longer my son. What? No. You'd be like, "Ryan, you need to go see you need to get help big time." No. So this whole the whole system is in versus out. Uh, it's it's amazing to me that we're in 2024 and Christians are still using kingdom terminology. The kingdom, we want to win people for the kingdom. It is inherently violent. Oh, it's the kingdom of heaven. Oh, the kingdom is here because Jesus said that we're gonna. One, you're not even hiding this anymore. Like you're you you modernize it to make it look nonviolent, but you're not even doing that. And so, that's why it's. I, I I just made a post. I said people don't need to be saved. You would think that I. I mean that brought on all that. You don't need to be saved because saving is an in and out thing. Saved. Oh, you got to be saved so you can be in. No, that's not, it's inherently violent. So then you pair that with, we're already a dualistic society. We love our polarization either, or we don't know how to live in the tension. We don't know how to live in the gray. We don't do a both and, or a yes. And so it just fuels all of that. And that's that's why we see the church leading this charge, leading this violent charge, because their theology is deeply rooted. The foundation of their theology is in versus out. Are you in? Or are you out? If you're out, screw you. You're the enemy, which then, wait, wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to love our enemies. Like, it's this, this makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense.
0: It's the opposite of what they want to present themselves at at Easter and Christmas and any other time you need them to like bless your wedding or or a or child baptism or something. It it's a bait and switch. Right. And now the, the bait and switch, like you said, they're not hiding it anymore. It depends on the church, but they are definitely still hiding it, but there's definitely tons that are not hiding it. They've unleashed it. They're pretty much in bed with, with politics, which is all our group is right, your group is wrong. Whereas a more nuanced view is that how do we as a large nation of different re- religious freedom, supposedly, and, you know, a personal expression, as long as you're not harming others and breaking the the fundamental laws of like, you know, murdering people or stealing shit or whatever, how, how do we protect you to be able to have rights in a democratic society? Especially if a large group, which is very heavily ethnically one way and monetarily and habit wise one way is trying to go well no no you've got to be this way or or not right that that's that fuels war that's us versus them um joseph campbell uh did a he's a famous writer. He used to teach at Notre Dame. He's a Bible scholar, but also a world religion scholar. And I think for people that are just like, what are they talking about? They know way too much. about. It. I think start with that, the power of myth a documentary he did with Bill Moyers from PBS. It's on Netflix, I, or I think, or at least you can get it on YouTube. Um, and, and there's a book companion as well. And his writings were just so interesting because he studied all these religions all over the world for hundreds and, and thousands of years. He found, so many religions that had a snake as the enemy. He found flood stories, almost the, it, it, it sounds exactly like the Bible. I mean, uh, uh, you know, he, he traces like the Christ story to like myths from like Babel, uh, or, uh, okay, what is that place? Sumeria, Sumerian uh, myths and religion of, of the chosen son being sacrificed. This is stuff that was recycled. That's, that's for another day. But for people, you know, because I don't, we can't, we're not, we're not going to do the whole podcast on that, but that's another way to deconstruct is, is, is look into the world religions and what is this actually being taught to you? Because on one hand, I I would be cool with the church if they were just like, Hey, here's some really good stuff we think is good for you. And this will help you in your life. And if you don't do these things, if you make bad decisions, like, you know, such as, uh, coveting or killing somebody or stealing, you're going to have real world consequences. And that would be fine. But not this whole control piece, not this whole like um, it, it, this deep piece of power and money that that it's become. It hasn't become that. We, we, we're not letting people, you know, in, in many ways, as a therapist, I have clients that are like, I'm going to do this. And I'm like, oh, boy. Like, my, my personal self in the back of my head is like, oh, gosh, I, that's going to not go well. But I am not paid to tell them, don't do that. I am paid to help them with their mental health. And I could even say, educationally, um, you know, util- utilizing some motivational interviewing techniques, well, uh, have you thought about the pros and cons of that? Um, how can I help you? with that. Are you open to talking to these decisions about me? Are you know I, I can offer that, right? But ultimately I can't control them. And ultimately I don't want to, even if I think they're making quite a poor choice. They have to live with the consequences. And the church is sort of like substituting for this like it's like a family you can't get out of or something like that's where the cult element comes in. So I want to talk about that. But Joseph Campbell said in the documentary, um he said the this is a very philosophical quote but i'll just say this he was talking about religious fundamentalism when bill moyers asked him and he said on this immediate level of life and structure myth offers myths offer life models and that's what i'm talking about buddhism doesn't claim to be the one true religion i like it i get lots of good stuff there's a book on buddhist psychology you can look up i think it's called buddhist psychology by jack cornfield great book right my friends who are hindu They tell me all sorts of things about gods and Shiva and Ganesh. And I love that stuff. Okay. And we have, I went to the festival of Ganesh. He's removing obstacles. He's an elephant. He's a really nice, it's cool, but they're not like, this is the one true faith. Uh, we have to have political power, you know, like it, it, it it's not that right. Uh, my universalist p- people, they're all like, yeah, it's cool, dude. Like I was reading the other day in the scripture of Bob Dylan that, you know, you got to serve somebody. And I'm like, oh yeah, you do got to serve somebody, right. You, you, you got to, right. That's part of it. And, you know, and you shouldn't leave your blood on the tracks. You got to be careful. Like, they they're cool with anything, right? But it's all about what is the, what are you getting out of this, right? Psychology, self help books—they're all myths that are they're they're true in one sense. But for instance, a self help book written in the 80s—it's like, whoa, that's outdated, yo, right? The self help book coming out this year—that might work for me if I'm in suburban America. But if I'm in urban America and I'm surrounded by a bunch of you know difficult things, that's not going to work for me. It's okay. No one's saying this is the one true self help book. That you must be in or out, or you're an apostate, or you're you're a heretic, right? Well, I don't believe in Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence. I only believe in, uh, you know, Carl Rogers' book about becoming a person. Like, okay, what, are we fighting wars about this? No, it's just how do we become healthy? Back to that. So he said that, but Joseph Campbell continues, but the models have to be appropriate to the time in which you are living. And he said this in the 80s. And our time has changed so fast that what was proper 50 years ago is not proper today. The virtues of the past are the vices of today. And many of what we thought were to be the vices of the past are the necessities of today. The moral order has to catch up with the moral necessities of actual life in time, here and now. And that is not what we are doing, he says. The old-time religion belongs to another age, another people, Another set of human values, another universe. By going back there, you throw yourself out of sync with history. Our kids lose their faith in their, all the religions that were taught to them, and they go inside. And what he meant by that was they need to go inside and figure out where they stand and and where they're at. And I, I just love that summary. He's so well spoken because he was like almost eighty years old at this time, and he had just he's written all these books and lectured all this. What a summary! It's. Evangelical Christianity is not of this time. It's morphing into some sort of cult. Expert Dr. Ryan Lambros, I'm calling you that. Sorry, you didn't say that, but I'm calling you that. Um, let's talk about deconstructing evangelical Christianity, in particular, because I do think they're leading the charge towards this sort of warlike us versus them. I don't think that the, uh, the Episcopal Episcopal churches, with their like cool jazz Christmas situation and like kind of you know, I call it like diet. Religion is leading the charge. I don't feel like the Presbyterians are necessarily leading the charge. The Baptists are cool with it. They're evangelicals. Um, the Catholics, the eh, they're just they they go to these rituals. They aren't doing. They're not as as some of the Catholics are in bed. You know, the Catholic radio listen now, pray the rosary. America's going to hell. There's those. In the majority, I'd say it's evangelicals that are, are really mucking things up. And they, but they think they're doing the right thing, just like. You know, just like Hitler thought he was doing the right thing. Um, and he didn't really have a message of love, but, you know, it's a similar mindset. We all think we're doing the right thing. So can you can you talk about some of the negatives of, of evangelical Christianity? Um, let's go. Uh, li- Maybe we'll go lightning round. I love lightning round. We're going to yep. go deeper again, but I want to, I because this, each of these could be its own podcast series. Let's go sex cult. Is evangelical Christianity a sex cult? Go. Yes. Tell me why.
1: Uh, I mean, you talk to any evangelical system, pastor, leader, anything like that. The amount of rules and regulations around sex and all that that is. You want to talk about power and control. Holy crap. Uh, There's memes all over the place. I love it. They're like, oh, the tsunami is, is killing hundreds of thousands. But you're worried about God watching you masturbate. Like. Like what in the world, right? Like the purity culture in and of itself is the biggest control tactic of evangelicalism. And it's deeply rooted to the next thing in the lightning round, which is patriarchy, male dominant religion. If you, you don't have to dig very deep, but when you do, you see that since the beginning of this whole thing, none of the patriarchy has been deconstructed. And so we live in a male-dominated evangelicalism. So it is control, control. Just look at it. Women, you're responsible for males' eyes. Mm. You're the one who is dressing provocatively and causing the man to stumble. They say this. They say this 100%. Cover up, women. Don't wear this at the gym. You're going to cause your brother in Christ to stumble. So the same... The same Christians, no responsibility on the men. So
0: the, the same Christians who are ripping on, let's say, Islamic religions for having women kind of cover up and not only show anything but their faces are doing this here in the U.S. Uh, we could go off on the Christianity's patriarchal. Uh, one of my favorite things to do would be reading Catholic leaders' letters from the 1400s to about the 1800s where they discuss women. Mm-hmm. They basically say women are dirty, they're uh, bad, they are easily demon-possessed. It is insane, the women hate, that goes back deep into the church. Um, You know, I don't think Jesus was really in on that so much. Uh, He was, you know, in the teachings, but it it is there in the church. I remember when I first became a a licensed therapist, I I was networking in Tempe because my office was in Tempe. And I networked with this like really cool up and coming church that you may have heard of. I'm not going to name its name, but it's pastor ended up moving to California. And then the whole thing kind of died off because he was like the cool, everyone liked him.
1: Yeah, I, uh, worked but- for one of the,
0: I worked for one of them. You did? Oh my gosh. So I went in there back when it was like first starting up in Tempe because my office is like half mile away. Cause I was like, Hey, this is a perfect way. You know, I'm not, I wasn't lying. I was like, Hey, if you guys have situations where you can't, it's a mental health situation. I just want to let you know, I'm an outpatient therapist. I'm down the road and here I do. And I did that with other things. I did it with schools. I did it with um, doctor's offices, but I went to the church and we had a, like a lunch and it was like me and that cool dude. And this like uh, former running back of ASU guy and like some other guys. Both and I remember talking to them and then I talked to a few women that went there. I didn't, I didn't go there at the time. And I realized that they had zero women in any position of power except the nursery for children's ministry and i was and i and the and they were marketing themselves as the progressive church like we're cool college kids come here this sort of thing and i remember go and i remember said and i said and i said i said um you know i'm glad to help you guys out you know because they had actually one of the people had also contacted me so that's how i had a link with them and i and i had lunch with them and i just said you know i i have to give you a criticism as a therapist You know, I just said, where is the woman on the board? Where is the woman leader? Why? Well, we don't really have women pastors. We're not against it. So, so, okay. If you don't have a woman pastor, why are they not on the board? Why are they not in a position of power to watch over you guys? Because if you guys are controlling your own salary and what, what trips you go on to evangelize or whatever you're doing, how is this any different? It's actually worse than let's say like a Patreon, you know, like you and I start a Patreon of like bros the jet ski or some stupid shit and then we get people to donate to us and we're like all right now we're jet skiing here in australia now we're jet skiing in south america no one's controlling us our donors are donating but at least we're being honest about what we're doing (laughs) and i don't want i don't want any women telling us what it's 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 patriarchal it's tied into u.s politics it's tied into demeaning women it's all over the place no matter what they say you can see it
1: christianity is bibla how do you say that Bibliolatrists. It's Bible like it. plus idolatry. Bible plus okay. So, so the, the joke is it's Father, Son, Holy Bible. That's the real trinity of evangelicalism. Okay. It, if you want to unravel anybody within the evangelical movement, all you have to say is the Bible is not inherent and the Bible is not infallible. And you will basically be accused of not being a Christian. So the this definition of being a Christian within the old within the Bible is you are saved by faith, by grace through faith.
0: That's the definition of being a Christian. God
1: is Lord has nothing to do with the Bible. But if you say the Bible has a bunch of errors in it and it's and it's not inerrant, you will be deemed you're not a Christian. So the
0: Bible, if people don't know, and this is a whole podcast, is a store is a, is a bunch of historical documents. is a bunch of apocryphal myths. Oh, is loose, a bunch of historical documents. Oh, the Canaan that we have now is the loosely historical, loosely historical. Sorry, it was people writing down their interpretations of what happened, and through um, a
1: mythological lens. Memory. Let's just take memory. the gospel. Let's just take the gospel accounts. Right. We now have verifiable evidence that the gospel accounts that we have right now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were none of them were written by firsthand witnesses. And they were written earliest, earliest 30 to 40 years after the death of Christ. I don't know about you. I can barely remember really well things 10 to 15 years ago. And I'm pretty smart and I live in a modern world that I can capture everything on my phone. We're talking about first century most likely lower level educated people and that is the canon that we have the four gospels.
0: And the canon which is people decided what books are in and out. So it's it's stories, it's myths, it's poems, it's 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 it's, it's us saying we beat the Philistines, it's it's the Poetry of uh, of a lecherous king named Solomon who had like eight hundred prostitutes <laughs> escorts that he like molested. He's the, w- he's the wisest person ever, right? And David, his father, who also sent this poor woman husband, husband into war. You know, like these are the examples we're we're supposed to follow. Um, so the Bible is somehow supposed to be a literal historical factual document this i believe started in the in the early 20th century with the bible as inerrant wasn't that coming because of the science books that were being published and they they needed to they needed to have uh they tried to literalize it instead of it being like a guidebook of spiritual musings
1: i mean the whole the whole understanding of the purpose of the bible what it was all of that has shifted so much um And, and they, again, they had to, Christianity had to respond, really actually the Catholic church had to respond to science, to modernism, to all of these things that were starting to show some of the contradictions or potential fallacies that were presented in scripture. And so you can change and morph, or you can buckle down and double down. And they doubled down.
0: and we're going to, we're going to, after this lightning round, we're going to go into healthy spirituality as our last conclusion. So we end on a positive note, but they buckled down, they doubled down to retain
1: power, influence. Uh, if you can, well, think about it. If you can control, it's not even the, the Bible is the Bible, but now it's the leaders within our movement can control the interpretation. So again, anytime someone says, Hey, the Bible says, no, the Bible doesn't say. That person's about to give you their interpretation of what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible says love your enemies. Okay, you just uh, okay, um I can make a statement off of a website. ESPN says that Kevin Durant is the best NBA basketball player ever. Right. Cool. It's just a statement. Pastors say this is what the Bible, this is what God says in the Bible. No, that's not. It's your interpretation of it. And what has happened is the Bible has now become the authority. Look at any evangelical website and look at their doctrinal statements. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. The English
0: written Bible that was interpreted by multiple people over thousands of years from different languages.
1: It it is so, it's just so horrific. It's just like, oh my goodness. And I tell people the Bible, because I think the Bible is myth which is fantastic. The Bible can be authoritative. Yes. Right? Myth has power. It's amazing. Yeah. I don't, I don't shit on the Bible. I let the Bible be what the Bible is. And it can be authoritative. It can have impact on my life through power, the power of story. That's amazing. I love that. I do that with, I do that with Marvel movies. Like There's brilliant storytelling within Marvel and hero complex and all those things, and that impacts my life. Cool. We, we live that way. But the minute you say the Bible is the authority, the sole authority, no. The Bible is an idol. So I call it bibliolatrists.
0: And for those who want to go further, I, won't, I don't think we have time for this full tangent, but uh, look at the Gnostic Gospels. Uh, and look at the Book of Enoch. Yeah, there's some doozies. So the Book of Enoch, of course, involves sort of alien angels coming down and impregnating people and making a race called the Nephilim. Am I right
1: about that? Yep. You know, angels having sex with women, and and then they're they're angel gods, and then they're they're half angel half. half. It's a whole thing. You know, what that reminds me of is my favorite known myths,
0: the Greek gods. I love the Greek gods and the uh, the Roman the Roman of course follow ups to them because you can learn all these human stories through the exploits of all the Greek myths and the Roman myths. Yeah. Um. So the the Book of Enoch fits right in with there, uh, oh, but yeah. so do a lot of current books in the canon that didn't that did. We were talking about books that didn't make the canon the canon who was decided by men, um, with power. But we're talking about books in the Bible. They certainly also fit in with a lot of the Greek myths as well. Um, and the, the, your, your pastor that grew up in Oklahoma that is, only knows English and has only lived in the church and has not had much worldly experience and found his wife in the youth group and has been influenced by the elders and probably watches some stupid news channel and has read about 10 other books in his life, if you believe that he has God's message for you, God bless you. That's my Southern way of saying good luck with that.
1: Just because somebody knows the original language doesn't mean they understand it. I could be fluent in Spanish. That doesn't mean I know the culture and understanding and history of Spain or Mexico or anything like that. So, oh, oh, my pastor has an MDiv and he knows Greek and Hebrew and et cetera, et cetera. Great. That's still does not mean that person has the God-ordained interpretation. So. Segway, next thing. Christianity holds no room for,
0: evangelical Christianity specifically, holds no room for critical thinking. Thoughts?
1: They think about anybody who critically thinks that goes against the accepted authoritative view, gets ostrati- ostracized, labeled heretic the classic one old school john piper when rob bell made just just critically thought through the idea of hell and maybe we should just critically think through that idea john piper said farewell it's a famous tweet farewell rob bell wow so you're out rob bell Out. you're done
0: Yeah, Rob Bell had to he did move to California from Grand Rapids, Michigan, where my practice is, oddly enough. And he is he is now considered a a massive heretic, heretic, even though he gosh, I mean, he's I've heard some sermons by him because he doesn't have a hook in his sermon. There's no hook to make you believe it. He just teaches the Bible about how you can apply this to your life. He actually has a book called, like, What is the Bible? How this book can change your life. But he doesn't apply the evangelical lens to it, and nor does he want you to tithe. Now, he definitely wants you to buy his book, so that's how he has that house in Laguna Beach. But, um, you know, that's fair enough. That's the same as any other self-help author. Uh, And yet he was thrown out of the religion,
1: and he was— Definitely in the religion, he was a pastor. He, he taught at one of the big evangelical churches, Saddleback uh, and Willow Creek, and all of those churches. He was he was amazing, and he dared to critically think. He didn't even land necessarily at that point. He just was critically thinking through. Hey, we've been saying this for a long time. I want to think through it, and and so I I say evangelical Christianity holds no room for critical thinking. They're scared. They're scared at potentially, again, if you're basing your whole thing on in versus out, and then someone goes, hey, that is messed up, and here's why, you lose everything. You lose power. You control money. That's it it right
0: there. It becomes a philosophy club, and every philosophy club I know is broke. (laughs) They don't have any power, money, influence. They have to beg The local coffee shop to let them have a corner okay there's no money in philosophy that is not harming or controlling people or assets it is a pursuit of that person and just that way spirituality that isn't i think packaged in a way that makes you have to have it or something it doesn't make money it doesn't it doesn't lead to political and social clout and power um that being said, I want to talk. I want to I'm gonna name drop this, but Christianity
1: holds no room for modern scientific exploration. Go. Uh, I mean, you'll know this really well. You've already alluded to it, you've already encountered it. Just talk current psychological findings, neurological findings, how the brain functions, how trauma works. And evangelical Christianity loses their shit, right? Oh, no, no. Trauma's trauma's not real. It's just sin. No, there's scientific proof of what trauma does to your body. To, like, uh, scientists can show a lot of amazing things. And you will find evangelical Christians who will say, science this science is wrong because it contradicts the bible it goes back to that bibliolatry mm. well, no the bible says that this is true well, science says that's not true like, very clearly and
0: and to be fair if we if we took the book kind of like how rob bell took it which is an informative um, mythological text with some very good points And maybe some helpful things we would say, oh, wow. Well, that was written thousands of years ago. I guess maybe humanity has uh, found new ways of understanding how we behave and think and how trauma affects us and how depression and anxiety are things and are not just sins or shortcomings right? or curses or demons or um, what's that? It's nothing to do with moralism, moralism. Right. Because it's funny to me how Christians I've heard make fun of Scientology for believing these aliens get inside your body and cause you stress. At the same time, they're saying, you know, well, if you're if you would just pray more and be right with God and, and read your devotion every morning, you wouldn't have these problems. I'm sorry. You might, it's cool to read and do more devotions, but you're still going to have these problems. That's part of, that's part of life, right? And that there are solutions, scientific solutions, therapeutic solutions that can help you with those that don't also admonish your faith. They don't go against your faith. But when you know how it works, like you said, when I, when, when we deconstruct how psychology works to help heal people, that does go against their belief system, because it's not like God's coming down and touching you. And that's just healing
1: you. Like some of these, you know, ceremonies they do. Um, I I tell people uh, an overwhelming majority of evangelical Christian, not the fundamentalists, not the the extreme cults, not like the Willow Baptist or uh, not Willow Baptist. Southern Baptist. uh, There's a really Westboro Baptist. Oh, the Westboro. Yes, of course. But overwhelming majority of evangelical Christians go to a doctor when they're sick yeah right but and that's science and they trust that science sure they trust that doctor who went to school to get that degree in the science of medicine and they trust that doctor amazingly they won't trust brilliant scientists who have maybe even more schooling than their family doctor when it comes to something because it disagrees with the bible It's a contradiction. Absolutely. It's cognitive dissonance. They don't have room for true exploration. They just don't.
0: The the exploration is limited to things that they are told are safe or unsafe. And in fact, I mean, I won't go into this, but there are definite uh, lists that pastors and churches have made. Like you can go here and do this, but you can't do that. I mean, like I remember one where um, the (laughs) I was invited to somebody's church and I went, this is like 15 years ago. And the guy was like, stay away from that new age section in the, in the, in the, uh, the store, you know, in the bookstore, only stay in the good religious upstanding and read James Michener and, uh, you know, these thriller books or whatever, whatever. Anyway. So I, and I remember thinking, you know, if you go to the new age store uh, or even the section, some of the books are definitely on the tarot and mysticism and occult and whatever, but some of them are all about the archangels and Christ and all of that just from a different lens. Right. But they didn't want that. So it was just funny. It was like, it was like a rule and I was like, Oh, I'm a guest. Okay. Not coming back. Um, So we've, we've kind of um, we've kind of deconstructed a lot. So I want to talk a little bit in our last kind of few minutes here about you know, because we we can't heal you from a podcast. We cannot help you on your journey. We can help you, you know, have direction, right? But a podcast is not a substitute for treatment, as I say in the the disclaimer. So healing spirituality, experience driven, trust your experience and intuition. And I think that is such a statement that I kind of want you to say it again and say it how you believe it.
1: At the end of the day, whatever is going on inside, trust it. I'm not saying that it's always going to be right per se, but what's going on, your experience gives you so many check engine lights. And you trust that you investigate the check engine light. You trust that and go, oh, that went on. Now, it can mean a lot of different things, right? A check engine light comes on. It could be a blown head gasket. It could be something really small. But it, hey, check that your tire pressure thing goes on. Oh, it could be a flat. It could be a nail. It could be cold weather. But you trust it. And so oftentimes, we are robbed of a healthy spirituality because religion tells us don't trust it. And so the biggest thing is what your everyday lived experience, trust what that is telling you. Follow what that is telling you. It can lead you to just more, oh, wow, that was just, that's really cool that that's what it saw. Or it could show you something revolutionary in your life. It could show all kinds of different things, but you. A lot of my work is helping people feel free to do that because they've never been able to do that.
0: Well, they don't have permission. Right. And so you've walked through growing up in the church, going the good boy route, uh, even had a little dust up with that church that has its own podcast devoted to the fact that it's possibly a personality and family cult and blogs devoted to it. You got out of that, became a pastor, done all this. Then you deconstructed your faith completely. So you could, you could help people. And I'm glad I'm going to throw those in the show notes uh, later, but there's a thing that I've heard from a lot of Christians um, who are in the church. It's like this, it's like the destination, the destination is the goal. Right. And and we know from pop psychology, from like every single philosopher that it's the journey that is transformative, not this mountaintop experience. I mean, like, For instance, I read a book about Mount Everest, about this guy that climbed Mount Everest. And of course, the book was so cliche, but he said it over and over. The the going up the mountain and meeting the Sherpas and meeting the people and going through it, that changed me more than my two minutes at the top of Mount Everest, right? That changed me. Yes, those two minutes were amazing, but it was actually almost a letdown. I couldn't get the picture right. I was cold. I was miserable. I want to get the hell out of there. And so I, I hear these Christians that are like, we're, tr- we're all about truth. It's all about the truth, Ryan. We have the truth, you know, and, and, and we'll do anything for that truth. And, and people outside of the truth are lost. And so how do, we, how do we deal with healthy spirituality that doesn't even have practices that are that healthy, that are, are seeking this sort of destination to Western consumerist truth? How do we deal with that?
1: Yeah, I think there needs to be a discovery of beauty as the priority, not truth. Mm. And and a a lot of my doctoral work, I have this whole section on beauty, and it was one of the hardest for me to to research and write on because I had been so gripped with this truth. Truth is the ultimate, ultimate pursuit of truth, and you're going to find this truth, and once you have it, then you're this incredible thing and guru, whatever. Instead of really investigating beauty and novelty and creativity and diversity, like sameness. Like I hear truth and I hear one and one size fits all. That's not beauty. That's boring. The world is so diverse. There's not one, there is not, every human being is a snowflake, truly. We are all distinct and different. We all come from different times and cultures and all of that. So I wonder what would happen if we discovered beauty and we pursued beauty over truth. And to be able to hold those things in tension and not, we're not throwing truth away. We're not saying there is no such thing as truth, but we're saying, Hey, what would it look like to pursue beauty? And that is to me, a journey. If all you're focused on is that mountaintop, you miss the beauty of everything that you worked in to get to that point. And then the crazy part is, is there is always another mountaintop. And then actually you look back and you go, I I can look back and there's 27 mountaintops and that's beautiful. What beauty does that bring when you reach the 27 different mountaintops? And how many truths
0: will you discover along the way through your experience, through trusting your experience and through pursuing beauty And creativity and these sort of things if you look i've read a lot of philosophers books and a lot of the truths are like a giant you know venn diagram with like except there's like 50 circles they all are are saying similar things that you notice as a human that ring true um simple things such as you know the truth will set you free, but the truth is also painful and the truth can actually make you uncomfortable and the truth can actually blow up a relationship. But what I mean by that with truth is it's like, what is the truth? Of your story what is the truth of this moment what actually happened between you and your lover what actually occurred between your parents and you when you don't put a lens on it what actually happened at that church what was really going on and what did you try to tell yourself wasn't true so that you could survive right that's adaptation humans are the great adapters and the humans that beat the humanoids homo sapiens that we believe beat out the neanderthals of course this could be apocryphal as well but this is what some of the people think because we weren't there is that the homo sapiens could rally around a narrative and that is how they were able to make larger tribes than neanderthals who we believe only traveled in tribes of somehow between 15 and 20 people which meant that they were quite inbred which is not good uh, but essentially the homo sapiens were able to make larger and larger communities all around a narrative. And that is human evolution at the beginning, that narrative, whatever you want to call it, spirituality, maybe it's all a chant we do. Maybe we all eat the rabbit on new year's. I don't know. They didn't even know what years were like, if you look at how humans evolved and read some books about that, and I have some podcasts uh, previously that I've done with people that have, have, have researched and deconstructed anthropology, which, you know, that's, We don't like anthropology in the evangelical Christian community. Um, I don't like that. But it it shows you how complex on one hand, but how simple some human micro-truths can be. And so that journey and that experience and being open to that is important. Um, You said, uh, one of your friends said something about spirituality. Can you tell me what that was?
1: Yeah, I was, I was talking with him. He's a, he's actually a pastor, not of, uh, he's a pastor of a spiritual community, not evangelical. Um, like he just had a Buddhist monk come and teach and like, it's wonderful. And I asked him about spirituality and he defines spirituality this way. He said, spirituality is the way that we relate to the whole of existence. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like that is like what we're talking about, like health and flourishing being the goal like we get to experience that and spirituality is the path really i think the way that we relate to that to our through the whole of our existence both the good and the hard the painful and the brilliant all of those things that is the path of spirituality that is what we are we should we want we want we want to pursue yeah, we want a bigger
0: meaning than materialism. We want a bigger meaning than um, I have this much money when I retire. We want more than um, this is, you know, this is my like h- horrible story of being bullied. And then I became an introvert and played video games and never left the house again. We want something bigger, greater, right? That's why people seek therapists. That's why people seek life coaches. That's why people seek you who are dealing with their relationships in these churches or religions they've been in. So integrating spirituality and the idea of God, which could be, again, a a large book that you will never finish writing. But you said, interestingly enough, for the therapy nerds out there, the internal family systems or ego state, uh, which was original, and a little bit of EMDR therapy, but mostly internal family systems, you believe that God is a part of us. Can you explain that? Yeah, so it's something that I'm
1: exploring. So it's not... I shouldn't say you believe this isn't a faith statement. (laughs) I do. I do. I'm fairly convinced. Yes. Okay. That's better. And more. So within internal family systems, we are, we have the self self energy. And a lot of people I've talked to that are Christian or spiritual, they would say that the self is the divine, right? Oh, it's that they would equate those two things. We all have God in us. We are God. We are the divine, all the things. Okay. That's fine. Cool. I I have a I have lots of issues with that for other reasons but this is as I started talking to people and looking at my own experience I'm realizing that the idea of god is seems to be a part that we create out of our wounding or need so for instance cuz I think we are the self is beautiful and it's good. And it's all we need. And the whole work is integrating parts into self attachment and all of those things. Um, and so we have deep wounds and then that protector part comes up and they, they take care of that wounded part, but oftentimes they don't do it in healthy ways. And so that comes out and the whole goal is not to get rid of those protective parts and to get rid of those wounded parts. It's integrating those parts into the self and into self energy. And as I've looked and studied in various, all kinds of different religions, religious systems, all of those things, it seems like the divine God is a protective part. It is giving us some sort of answer, some sort of coping, some sort of, and coping isn't bad, it's a, it's a survival, it's a healthy thing. We, we've experienced some sort of lack, and we create the God part. And that is a protector part from the wounding. And I'm fascinated with this idea of what would happen. And I think this is what deconstruction does. And this is what mental health is helpful with is we can say, hey, let's talk about the wounded part that we needed that God part. And then what, what did it look like to integrate that God part into self-energy? And experience healing for that wounded part, and I think that's different for very lots of different people. For some, that God part no longer gets labeled as a God part, but it becomes a father figure. It becomes a mother. It becomes a system. It becomes something super healthy. For others, it might need to stay divine. It might need to be a mystery. It might need to be God with a capital G and that's okay. That's why I don't, if you believe that there is a God who exists, that's great. Good. Is that, is that healthy in your wounding? And does that lend towards attachment and integration into capital S self that lends towards beauty and goodness and value? And so that's where I, I have been sitting with What healthy spirituality looks like is taking whatever that part that might be labeled God, that might be labeled the divine, whatever that might be, looking and exploring what is that part protecting. And there's always wounding. Life is traumatic. That's okay. It's, It's not about removing trauma. It's about integrating that into our everyday life and allowing that to contribute to the health of our existence. And that to me is the work of That is how deconstruction can be healthy in our mental health. That's how it can be beneficial. That's the whole assessing and valuing what was, what is, and accomplishing that through curiosity and compassion, right? We show curiosity and compassion to those wounded parts, those protected parts.
0: Absolutely. And this would be maybe part two we'll talk about maybe next year, but, uh, one of the ideas is you know if if i grew up in a patriarchal religion which i did at least to some extent you definitely did for like a large part of your life it might be you know like you said like that god part may be like a father showing up right like just like zeus the old man in the sky right but but if i grew up in some sort of other non-dominant religion that part might be a tree or a rock. Or a little elf that lives under a rock, like in Iceland, or like a, um, a, a strong woman, you know, um, who's a leader, a matriarch, or it could be a medicine man, right? Or it could be an animal, right? Th- this sort of, it, but it also could be this, the earth itself, the solar system, the galaxy, it could be something bigger, greater than us, or a totem, meaning like something that re- represents something to us, because as a human, Fundamentally, we are small, we are vulnerable, we are easily hurt. Our diseases are rampant. We could die tomorrow driving a car. We could die by choking on a chicken wing. Okay. And we need something bigger. And when you're old, when you're young, your parents are your god in a way. Because they protect you, hopefully. <laughs> they're supposed to, according to the state law. They're supposed to protect you, feed you, you know, hopefully emotionally nurture you. Of course, that's not happening. That's why therapists have jobs. Um, you know, unfortunately there we are i'm you know we we're helping but we're also benefiting off of the dysfunction of our entire country in the way that we live here that is very very strange place to live but um these these sort of things can be i kind of lost my place but sort of factors to help us feel less vulnerable right it's an adaptation it's an adaptation a human adaptation for us to invent shoes so our, we are we getting prickers all in our feet and shards of you know back then shards of stone right Uh, it's an adaptation for us to wear clothes it might it actually might not be about shame it's just that we were in a colder climate here right and if we had lived near the equator maybe we wouldn't need as many clothes and if you look at anthropology that's what the evidence says right it's an adaptation to believe in a good father who's not like most of the fathers we've experienced (laughs) okay Shout out to your dad. He's he's a badass, by the way. I, I I yeah. But like most people's fathers, I mean, that's why I'm in. Th- that's why I'm a therapist. You know, father mother wounds. You know, these sort of things that if people can integrate and move through, they are no longer a victim. They can become somebody who is integrated and loving and a wonderful example of of, of, of a person that they want to be. Right. But if they're not wounded and they're bypassing and going to religion, hoping it will take it away from them or it'll be cast out of them or somehow about being a good boy or I'm just saying boy, because this is us guys talking, you know, that we somehow will be special and, and chosen and whatever, blah, 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 blah. All this stuff. It's not actually the, the, the inner work is not being done. It's, it's a bypass for inner work. It's not external work. It's not like we're just going to get Botox and we'll feel better now. Like, it's not external, maybe, as much. Gr- religion kind of parades as a way to do inner work collectively. But I find very few of the folks involved are doing actual inner work. And if they are, they're often <laughs> the ones who are getting questioned <laughs> because they have questions. They go to their pastors, they go to their priests, they go to the elders, they go to people in the church, and they, and they go to Bible study, and they ask these questions, and people don't have answers. They have boilerplate answers, and that doesn't work. If I was a therapist and I gave my clients boilerplate answers, I'd be out of business next week. The answers are, yes, there are some truths that ring through in humanity about behavior, right, and and, and the way things work scientifically, but your story is so unique to you, right? And and that takes some response that's, you know, that that comes with responsibility. But if I just go to a church that tells me everything's gonna be okay and I pay the money, the responsibility feels like it's off of me. Right. And not only that, I spill it, I feel very special, right? Maybe that's filling my my parent wound i feel special because i'm accepted because i believe this so but i i you know i didn't want to make people feel like they need to abandon their faith or religion um so can you you know i mean you and i have kind of i mean you definitely are much more public about it i i'm more in this like mystic category i didn't mean to mislabel you but i i'm like you know i'd be really cool if there was a god i'm pretty sure that god is not like anything i've been taught or any of these religions it's like the elephant thing right you're a blind man touching an elephant like i think you know maybe the bible has like a toenail and like the hindu people probably have at least a couple of tusks because they got way more cool stuff going on the buddhists definitely are helping the blind man like guide himself along the elephant because like if you follow the buddhist stuff you're gonna be pretty healthy um because it's more of a practice than it is a a belief system you know islam is like kind of like the the, the the brother the christianity they hate each other but they're like believe in the same god and like follow most of the same stuff it's like the quran is the sequel to the bible um you know it it, it, it can be if i believe in a god it's definitely something greater than any of this and that would unvi- un- unveil the mysteries of the universe but i don't believe in a traditional sky god and I don't think Christianity is even close to correct. I think that they have a couple of good things like, you know, volunteer and feed the poor here and there. Once when we get our new building first and to get our cool coffee shop in the building and get all the kids to go to a cool evangelical trip to these poor people out there with the white saviors. Anyway, don't like that stuff, but like, you know, I I don't want to like shit on it. If that's your thing and that's your culture, go for it. Right. I mean, but, but don't harm people. I guess that's where I stop is when religion becomes violent. And I think it's gearing up for another round of violence here in the U S that's when I take issue with it. If it wants to, you know, do all the, all the positive Jesus stuff that, you know, was going on, that's cool with it. So we don't have to abandon it. I mean, I, I definitely am not a part of a, a, a church in that sense. Um, but I, I'm more in the mystic. I'm a mystic. I like the mystery. I like thinking there's something cool. I definitely don't think whatever is there is like answering me, <laughs> answering my prayers. Yep. I don't think that you know. I'm not. I'm not superstitious. You know. I like.
1: I'm reading I, Thomas yeah. Hubble's Modern Mystic right now. Thomas Hubble. who? Hubble? Hubble? It's you. Okay. Like he's. It's called Modern Mystic, and it's it's beautiful. It's amazing. He does work with Mate and all the like. It's oh it's, yeah. Yeah, it's like, um, I think that, that ultimately it's pursue health and healing, doing the inner work that always comes out within our lived experience. And if your faith, your religion, the idea of divine is contributing against that or contributing to harm, it's restricting health and healing, then be free to deconstruct that. Be free to critically think through why. What's going on here? Am I just doing that because it's comfortable? Because it gives me power? Like, it's all tied together. It doesn't have to be like you said, like we've said, throwing it out. Oh, it's harming people, throw it all out. No, like, like my neighbor made a really good point. The, he comes from the Lutheran tradition. He was a pastor within the Lutheran church. And he was like, Hey, like the red cross was started from a specific denomination of Christianity. And look at the good that the red cross has done. Like, that's amazing. No, we don't throw that out. Like, no, that, like that's offered health and healing for the world. That's amazing. So we can deconstruct and, Uh, identify areas of unhealth and harm and violence and but it has to be done with the goal not being ultimate truth, with the goal not being in or out, the goal not being doctrines, but with the goal of being health and healing. And on that journey, I think we'll find that there's some really amazing things.
0: I agree completely. So for us, at least I can say for me, religious deconstruction was good for my mental health. What about you, Ryan? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I feel much better after it. And, and I, uh, but for the listeners out there, I think you got to do your own work, not only your own inner work. You can't just listen to podcasts. I mean, podcasts are good for, you know, gathering bits of information and kind of, it's kind of like, I feel like podcasts are sometimes like the sample tables at Costco. Like you're just getting a sample, right? If you really want to learn how to make that pasta, you got to go try it yourself. Right. And, and you got to see if that's what you want to eat. Um, and, and
1: bad, keep going, try yeah. something. I, I mean, okay. we,
0: we made many references to books and things throughout this, um, and if you want to do work with Ryan, you know you can do that. I am I am not taking on clients to do religious religious deconstruction work. I'm just going to say that there are people at Health for Life Counseling at Grand Rapids who have done a lot of spiritual work and have been through spiritual abuse, and they are experts at that. So you can go to uh, the website healthforlifegr.com if you're in Michigan online or in person. And there are there's a thing called um, I think it's called uh, counseling for spirituality. And if you look at that. Um, Not only will they help you with, you know, they can help you with deconstruction. If you're in the faith and you're just trying to become healthier, they're going to help you with that too. They're not, there's no agenda with therapy. And Ryan's the same thing. I mean, if you want to stay in the faith and that's your thing, good. But integration is like, how do we integrate our lives and our family and and our situation, our cultural context moment with what... What we're looking for—the spiritual part, the health—I I don't know—I've I, I, now botched that, but—but but you know what I mean. Basically, we're trying to find—we're trying to find health, and health isn't a permanent state. Health is something that we have to continually work at. But we can have periods of time where you know you get to a place and you're like, "Oh, sweet, I got there. I'm health. I feel healthy again." Right? And if you're at a church or a religious situation or a cult or whatever, um, I think. You know the message to you is that there are people out there that are, um, you know, doing this work. They're doing their own inner work psychologically. They're they're deconstructing their faith. They're deconstructing their cult. They're getting out. They just might not have a lot of money and power and clout. So you might have to take a little bit of extra time to see them. And that, thank goodness, is one of the good parts of the internet. You can find them out there. Um, Any last comments, Ryan?
1: Yeah, I would just, I would just leave it with this health looks different for every single person. I equate it to the to physical health, right? A person who is overweight, like a 500 pound person who's trying to become healthy in their nutrition and their weight looks very different than a person who is lean, but just wants to build muscle and become healthy that way. Right? So for, um, the person who's really overweight, it might just be one simple step of, I'm not going to drink soda anymore. Okay. The person who is lean and just wants to build muscle, it might be, hey, I need to increase my protein intake just a little bit more. Like if you apply that person to the other and and the soda to the, it won't work. It doesn't achieve the goal of health for that person. So wherever you're at, whether you're within a religion, you're trying to leave, you're already out, but you're trying to be, find something, health looks different for different people. And if the goal is health, that's actually a beautiful thing. It's going to look different. So you don't have to think that one size. It's all I have to do this. I have to do this. It's what does health look like for you? That's what the role of the therapist does. That's what I do within life coaching of where do you want to go? Where do you see yours? How do you want to show up in life? And then we get to accomplish that goal and go after that. And that's the beauty of it. There's no shame. Hey, I'm an evangelical Christian and I want to stay in it, but I want to become healthy. Okay, great. Let's talk about what that could look like. Awesome. Right. You don't have to leave evangelical Christianity. Yeah. We just talked about a lot of the horrible things. within it. (laughs) Guess what? I have some people, I I talk with pastors who are in the evangelical church and they come to me and they ask me, Hey Ryan, how do I do this better? How do I become more healthy in this way? And I help them. I don't bash them like, well, dude, you gotta get out of that whole religion. No, that's not what they, that's not what they asked their health. To contribute to the well-being of the world is specific to them, and I want to come alongside them with that, and that's that's the beauty of it.
0: Exactly, and that's what cultural competence is: is that in life coaching and therapy, your therapist should never be trying to lead you out of your culture. If you decide to leave your culture, like Ryan and I did, um, that's fine. Will help you with that, but if you, I've I've worked with many clients who are deeply ingrained in the church, and I would never ever say anything negative about the church because that's my personal opinion. I want to help them find health in that church, and you know, maybe they might be an influence to make the church healthier. And boy, could it use it! So I'm all about that. So that is basically concludes our talk for today. I really appreciate you coming on here, Doctor Ryan Lambros. Your your information will be in the notes and I, I love that this feels like a, a culmination of an arc that started at least 10 years ago when i first met you and your
1: wife when you were like 21 or something like that um for having me, man what a, it's it's a cool full circle moment it's really cool yes i i have enjoyed
0: it and we'll be we'll be talking on and offline and maybe i you know we'll see maybe around two where we dive deeper always here always ready There you have it. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with people you know. I would surely appreciate it. Or take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. As most of you know, I am passionate about preventing future violence in the United States. My colleagues and I have started a nonprofit called the National Violence Prevention Hotline, a 501c3. Organization. We are endeavoring to gain funding and collaborators so that we can start a 24-7 hotline and chat line to reach potential perpetrators before they act violently. It is a bold effort to save lives and curb violence by working to connect with potential offenders while they are in the planning stages of violence, help to de-escalate them, and provide resources so that they can get appropriate professional help. The National Violence Prevention Hotline is looking to open up a conversation about violence in society, the causes, and the solutions. You can learn more by visiting our website, www.violencepreventionhotline.org. Join us online by signing our petition on the website, sharing the website with your network of people, donating to the cause if you like, and you can now even write your congressperson from our website with a simple form. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you are a therapist looking for ethical and excellent medical billing services, check out LLC.com. That's www.therapistbillingservicesllc.com. Billing services created by therapists for therapists. If you're looking for an EMDR International Association consultant, I am a consultant and I can provide you the 20 hours you need to become EMDRIA certified. I have groups, online and in person, and I do individual consultation. Just send me a message at the website and I'll get back to you. If you want to get trained in EMDR therapy, check out the great training opportunities with EMDR Training Solutions. I've worked with them before and they are phenomenal. So register today. If you are in need of counseling, do not hesitate to make an appointment at a local counseling center in your area you can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in the grand rapids michigan area at health for life counseling and the trauma-informed counseling center of grand rapids by visiting www.healthforlifegr.com the recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of paul krauss and his guest and while these are based on the literature they have read and the experience in their fields this should not be viewed as a definitive opinion on any subject Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you're in a crisis, please dial 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. You can also text 741741 and a live, trained crisis counselor will respond. Did you know you could support your local bookstore by shopping at www.bookshop.org? You can order from the comfort of your own home online while supporting local brick and mortar businesses near you. If you are a therapist and you are not a member of your national or local therapy organizations, such as the American Counseling Association or the American Mental Health Counselors Association, please get involved. At least pay the dues. It will help the lobbyists in our field, keep us from becoming gig workers. And of course, there's the bonus of increasing mental health education around the United States and helping people understand what counseling is and promoting best practices within our profession. Until next time, I wish you all a safe and peaceful week.